I think that when you think about something that's as, as ubiquitous as kind of financial instruments, there's a lot of room for storytelling. The combination of the quantitative and optimization, which can benefit you know, two products that look the same, when put on top of a clear, unique brand story. listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales, and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Digital Growth Journey series, where James Robert uncovers and explores some of the industry's biggest digital marketing and sales stories of success. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello, I am James Robert Lay and welcome to episode 278 of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Dave Fink to the show. Dave is the CEO and co-founder of Posty, a data and technology platform with the mission of making direct mail behave as dynamically as the best digital marketing channels. Dave believes that the best kept secret in marketing is hiding where you least expect it. It's your mailbox. Over a 20-year career, Dave has generated hundreds of millions of dollars in ad revenue, powered viral sensations like Dollar Shave Club, while also helping launch celebrity startups for Jessica Simpson, Mary-Kate Olson, and Kate Bosworth. And now as the founder of Posty, he's out to reinvent direct mail marketing for a digital world, which is exactly what we're going to discuss today to empower you to help you grow your bank your credit union, or your fintech. Welcome to the show, Dave. It is good to share time with you today, buddy. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this one. Before we get into talking about the potential growth opportunities through direct mail and really combining direct mail and digital together for financial brands, what is good for you right now, personally or professionally, that is always your pick to get started on a positive note? I love that question for entrepreneurs, uh, executives, et cetera. You know, we, we spend so much of our time thinking about you know the the problems we need to solve and not enough time thinking about the either the problems we already solved or what we've achieved and what's going well. Typically, our teams kind of get to focus on the positive and then we're always you know troubleshooting in the grand scheme of things, you know, we're two and a half years removed from this crazy COVID time. Um, my my son and daughter tell me all the time that the, the greatest thing that happened with COVID is that they got to start spending time with me on a daily basis because I was working ho- from home and we continue to remain distributed. So I see my kids you know, every morning and every night, whereas when I was going into an office every day, oftentimes I didn't. That's just been a huge, I think, world of positivity for me, reminder of why I get up and, and work so hard every day. In work, I think that we're in a in a place where there's so much concern and fear placed, you know, in kind of what's going on in the macroeconomic trends. And and I look at those and I actually think that that's it's just filled with opportunity. We talk about that um, you know, day in day out here at Posty. I think when um, you know when things get a bit tougher it puts pressure on us as companies, as service providers, et cetera, to, uh, to execute better and to be really thoughtful uh, about how we're spending our time, how we're communicating. And, and you know, when things are really frothy, 
you know, anyone can can sell a product or service, etc. Money's flowing; it's easy. Dis, you know, buyers are less discerning in their decision making, and um, and so I, I just think that I I really like this market in many ways better than when everything's perfect and it's masking all sorts of you know hair. So a uh, lot lot to be positive about, I think, these days. You bring up a very good point to roll your thinking back just a bit. It's easy as a leader, as an executive, to to get stuck and to forget all of the good that we have done as an individual, as a team, as an organization. And I think, you know, when you think about when things are frothy like they are right now, and there's a little bit of uncertainty, we must be mindful of where we're at so that we don't get stuck uh, in, 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 in a dark place. Why is that? Why do you think, you know, as a leader, it's easy to, to forget all the progress that we've made and just gets kind of stuck right here in the present moment? Well, if I knew the, that answer, I'd probably be a motivational speaker or a, a therapist or something like that. I mean, th- these are these are things that I you know struggle with myself, and I think there's no shortage of of information out there about the the type of, of um, you know challenging personalities that are drawn to entrepreneurship, and 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 you know, the the lows are really low and the highs are really high, yes. and, and sometimes they're short intervals in between, sometimes they're long label it and say like i'm totally manic right now like you know maybe not um you know diagnosed as such but but i can feel i'm up you know the dopamine's flowing i'm gonna have yes. a million ideas half of them are gonna be disastrous but let's like like this is a really creative time right now why do we get focused on on the negative sometimes over the positive um i think is probably because it's just you know anxiety depression stress like those are really heavy emotions um it's really hard to, you know, to ignore them. Um, and yeah. sometimes, you know, it's nothing more than, again, the way that, you know, your brain's, you know, working. It's not even driven by anything real. I, you know, I, I again, I, I believe labeling um, can be, you know, uh, and understanding yourself can be a really powerful thing. The minute that you kind of try and spend a little time defining what's going on, what you're feeling, what you're dealing with, what your, you know, challenge is, I think all of a sudden it makes it, a bit more obtainable um, to overcome and conquer, but it doesn't, yeah, you know, it doesn't eliminate the fact that you're feeling that, yeah, you know, that pressure, yeah. that anxiety, that stress, and 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 people who get themselves in, I think, positions where they care a lot about results and and their productivity, who want to do well, which I think defines most people. I just think that those kind of fears and uncertainties are oftentimes more heavy than than the achievements. And and look, surrounding yourself with people that care about you and creating a, a culture of more positivity and recognition uh, goes a long way to trying to, to focus more attention on, hey, look at all the amazing things we're doing. I think it comes down to the point of what you just said. I'm aware. And it's that idea of awareness of, of the self, of the team, of the organization. It's that awareness that provides perspective into where we've been, where we are, and then where we can continue to grow going forward into the future. And, and from the point of awareness, you know, we know that financial services uh, has become commoditized. Every bank, every credit union, every fintech competes around pretty much the same exact things. We have these commoditized great rates. We have quote unquote amazing service. And then we have these, these lookalike laundry list of product features. And I think the good news is that you have seen, you've experienced, you've learned a lot on your own journey of growth, especially when it comes to 
rising above commoditization and winning the battle for attention. And and I want to start there. Like think back, you know, lessons learned here, awareness, the work that you've done over the years, for example, with Dollar Shave Club, what might be some practical insights, practical lessons that the dear listener can apply at their bank, their credit union, or their fintech? Yeah, f- fantastic question. And we talked about it, I think, some level of introspection into yourself and and what makes you know you tick as a, as a person. You know, you need to do the same thing in in, the, in in your business as in your companies. And they're living and breathing things. They're made up of people and products and services and stories and experiences. And um, I, I think that one of the, the the core transformations in my career was was in the early days, I was obsessed with the quantitative. We were moving to this world of direct measurement and data and insights and analytics, um, especially in the marketing world where you know you could bring a product to market and you could work on an addressable strategy and get enough data to understand is what you're testing, you know, and putting out there working or not working to achieve certain you know business goals. That led me kind of down this path of kind of micro testing optimization, things like you know, single words in copy and font colors and the color of a, of a call to action or a button on a website or a landing page or the frequency of emails. And all that stuff is really important. But I think for a while, I maybe even had a little bit of an arrogance of, you know, give me any product or service and I'm going to run through a series of, you know, 50 um, you know, best practices and we're going to, you know, hammer out all these optimizations and build a profitable demand gen engine. And and fast forward to, you know, you, you mentioned the experience um, that I was fortunate enough to have um, having a front row seat to the kind of the Dollar Shave Club story. Yeah, that was in a, about a little over a decade into my career. It was 2011 when Dollar Shave Club launched. And it launched at a time of the really the emergence and scale of social media, right? YouTube was just, you know, building their own algorithms and Facebook was just becoming a place where everybody was sharing, you know, content and images, ski vacation, things like that, but didn't have the algorithm and the ads platform um, wasn't the behemoth that we know it is today. And and so it was an opportunity to kind of embrace this idea, not just of, of the quantitative, but also of storytelling and mm. authenticity and consumer engagement through content and through a real brand story. And so Mike Dubin, who, you know, um, many people now know was the founder of Dollar Shave Club, the idea behind it. He was the star, handsome star of the video. He scripted and directed the video that, that kind of put them on the scene. And he, in his CEO post, even when they got really big leading up to that, that billion dollar acquisition by Unilever, you know, he, he had his hand in every piece of content because he believed and saw the power of storytelling. Yeah. And, and what that did is all of a sudden it just like kind of exploded my mind into realizing that, you know, you, you can make incremental gains through all of the just pure quantitative testing and optimization. But if you start with an authentic voice, a cohesive brand story, uh, a commitment to telling that story consistently to your core prospect customers and your existing customers, then you know when you start layering on the quantitative um, strategies on top of it and executional tactics on top of it, that's when the magic happens. And so when you talk about a commodity in you know in a banking product, you know. Sure, you know, we can all throw our hands up in the air and say like, you know, 
it you know it's a it's a commoditized industry but it's also one of the biggest industries in the history of the world it touches everyone every single day whether that's through a credit card transaction or a mortgage payment and so i think that when you think about something that's as as ubiquitous as kind of financial instruments there's a lot of room for storytelling and there's a lot of room for differentiating yourself based on the values of your company, how you think about the world, how you think about the future. Um, so I, I just, I, I can't shy away enough from the combination of the quantitative and optimization, which can benefit two products that look the same when put on top of a clear, unique brand story. I want to pause you here because you have a very interesting perspective that I think many of the listeners can connect with. If I think about the the financial brand leader, very smart, very analytical, very logical, quantitative numbers, but you're now overlaying that with more of the emotive piece of story of narrative. And I find, and I wrote about this in my book, Banking on Digital Growth, that in the banker's brain, there's a lot of conflict because the way that the financial brand leader sees the world is different, say, than how a consumer sees the world, more emotive-driven, making emotive purchase decisions. How did, did you transform maybe your own mindset or perspective to go beyond just thinking about the numbers. And when you think about things like, you know, landing page optimization, CRO conversion rate optimization, email sends, et cetera. What was that journey like for you to think beyond the numbers and also now bring more of the story and the narrative into your worldview? And how did you do that? Look, it, it was really simple. I got hit on top of the head with, you know, success story. It, it was, you know, it was the Dollar Shave Club initial viral video that was yep. really well scripted to tell a mission, you know, based story to try and sell the ultimate commodity, right? Razor yeah. blades, right? Through the internet and watching the consumer response. Everybody wanted to be a part of it. They, they didn't even care about the quality of the product. Like it happened to be that the, the the quality, you know, was competitive, but it was, you know, they, everybody had felt this pain point of going through checkout at Target and, you know, and it's three items and it's $110. You're like, what in the world did I buy? And you bought like eight razor blades, right? Yep. And, and then, you know, going to, you know, CVS or Walgreens and, you know, you have to ask someone to unlock the, the <laughs> you know, razor blade cabinet because it's the number one most stolen item in retail because it's overpriced. That became like the brand story but behind like, are you tired of this, you know, this, you know, giant in Gillette who owns 80% of the market taking advantage of you, you know, because they can. And, and so, you know, we watched that and, and literally the video launched may get these days wrong, but I think it was like on a Friday night and within like three hours, the, the site was crashed. Yeah. They couldn't transact orders. There was so much response to that that you know, launch story, that authentic voice that we brought every engineer in the building in to, to get the site restored. And then we had to rapidly go out and hire a really big customer you know, success team in order to be able to help fulfill and communicate with clients that were like, hey, way more demand than we expected and bear with us here. And, you know, 
fast forward four years later, so, you know, four million paid subscribers to buy razor oh. blades through the internet. Not because yep. the razor blades were 10 times better or um, that they couldn't get them elsewhere. You can get razor blades, you know, every 10 feet, you know, in any major city. It was because, you know, that story resonated um, with authenticity in a humor, you know, driven way. It was, that, that's all it took. It was just like, oh my God, there's something here. Just like people feel stressed about money, we understand digital growth can also feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. But it doesn't have to feel this way for you because you can join the Digital Growth University to gain clarity through education, to overcome the fear of the unknown. Build your team's courage with a growth strategy to eliminate the fear of change and increase your confidence with coaching to remove the fear of failure. Visit digitalgrowth.com university to apply. As you're talking through this this narrative, I'm even thinking about whenever I first saw that video. And the the key takeaway for the dear listener, you know, th- you know, thinking about just your bank, your credit and your fintech is identifying the patterns, common patterns that cause common people pain, they cause common people problems and then presenting crafting a narrative, a story, a solution that resolve those pains, resolve those problems. And that that takes a bit of a, of, a, of a transformation of just perspective. And if we're thinking about transformation, I think, you know, the perspective that, that you're bringing through the work that you're doing now is you believe that the mailbox is the new inbox. And that's a big shift in thinking for some, I think, as we're now entering this age of AI, chat GPT has been in the media recently. And I'm curious, why? Why is this? Why do you believe that the mailbox is the new inbox? There, there's a uh, really organic path that we took to, to, to get here. And and it started back in 1999 when, when I first, you know, t- maybe it's 2000 when I took my first kind of quantitative marketing job or, um, you know, job with a quantitative marketing platform in the internet. And we saw this, just this transformation of movement from traditional media like TV, radio, direct mail, out of home, newspaper, magazine, et cetera, into, you know, digital format. And it happened little by little, slowly by slowly. People had to get educated. We had to build better tools and technology, better data pipes, had to just educate ourselves as, as marketers. And we learned it doesn't matter where your distribution channels are, whether you're selling through retail, whether you're selling directly to the consumer, um, whether you're selling you know through uh, a middle person. If you want to be more in control, you have to have you know a direct line of communication to and from the consumer. You, you, there's all sorts of insights and data that you can capture on whether you're doing a good job with your product or service or communication. And you can work to control that story versus relying on other third parties, like hoping that a retailer is, you know, educating the consumer about your product. So, you know, then as we talked about, there was this rise of might in social media and programmatic media and email. And, and the movement was, how do we move away from traditional media into these digital channels? And we learned a ton about storytelling through social media, quantitative through programmatic and building lookalike models and and a lot of things that the financial services industry had been doing through direct mail for years and years that could now be applied to digital. It was oftentimes cheaper on a per impression basis, not always more effective, um, but, but, but less expensive. 
And and then all of a sudden, you know, every advertiser's marketing budget went into Facebook and Google. And and you hear numbers like 85 cents of every dollar of, of digital media goes to Google and Facebook. I've heard things like 40 cents on every dollar of, of venture or PE investment indirectly goes through their portfolio assets into Facebook. I mean, those, those are crazy dominant numbers. And we're all always kind of struggling with, hey, these are channels that give us a lot of power and distribution, but they get more and more expensive with time and it's harder and harder right. to build our entire growth strategy profitably on those few channels. So fast forward to about six, seven years ago, we saw that across a portfolio of consumer brands and we looked and said, hey, something's got to give. Like we can't just keep spending more to acquire each customer, oftentimes a less qualified customer because just ad rates are going up on these, these digital platforms. But we don't want to give up our ability to speak directly to the consumer, control our message, and then test and optimize through audiences and all the addressable marketing um, um, strategies that digital allows us to do from a technology perspective. So we just looked and said, what are the other channels that uh, we could apply kind of all that goodness to that are not, um, you know, Facebook and Google? And that brought us back to direct mail. And direct mail, it's a $50 billion a year industry here in the U.S. alone, greatly dominated by financial services and fintechs. And uh, and part of that is because, you know, the financial services category um, has access to unique data through the credit bureaus that are required in order Mm -hmm. to make lending decisions. And that's a huge advantage to to be able to use that data to make decisions um, on who you're going to market to and how you're going to market. And um, they obviously have to play in a regulated industry. And so we looked and said direct mail, you know, it has as deep targeting as anything online has. It has direct measurement, has a very um, intimate way of of connecting with a consumer, right? A tangible piece of media that can be well-designed, reinforcing your brand story that's engaged in real life in in a consumer's home or a prospect's home. And those are amazing things. You know, what what we weren't thrilled about was that there had been no real technology and innovation in how you execute, how you measure, how you leverage data. And, you know, for 20 years, digital had, you know, relied on things or had kind of innovated in things like machine learning and AI and execution and data and insights, data visualization layers. And so we just thought like, hey, like, you know, w- you know, maybe we can build a bit more value in this, you know, already big channel that, that has proven to be performant when executed right. And we see day in, day out because everything we do is measurable channel, you know, outperforms just about any other quantitative channel out there. Um, but higher quality customers, um, you know, better CPAs, better return on ad spends, big and scalable reaches any anyone, um, you know, that has a physical address in the entire U.S. It, it, it's a really, really powerful and effective channel. So for us, it started with a bunch of hypotheses on how to break away from a sole dependence on digital. And it resulted in a holy cow, this channel is, is extraordinarily performing and can be done better. I'm I'm curious to get your take on this because, you know, it's almost like what is old is new again. We've come full cycle back to this this other type of communication channel. And, you know, I know some might think that oh, direct mail, that's that's a dinosaur. Why are we even having this conversation? So I want to pause just a bit. What What is a common misconception or a misunderstanding that 
people might have around direct mail that you would disagree with that you know what based upon what we know let me give you another another thing to think about here when it comes to direct mail in a digital world so i think there are three uh buckets of, of, of misconceptions that I would I would focus on. One is that the direct mail is this analog channel that may be important but should be you know executed in its own silo. Mm. And that's a total miss, right? I yes. mean that's not how we should behave as brands, companies, etc. We should be thinking about integrating um, every opportunity to engage a, a customer, a prospect, re-engage yep. a lapsed customer, et cetera, holistically. It doesn't matter whether it's a piece of paper, a billboard, a TV spot, a newsfeed ad, a viral video. It yep. has to be integrated, and that's the beauty of a quanti- of quantitative media, addressable media, is that, that, that the same individual that you're reaching through a mailbox is the same individual you're reaching through your website and then retargeting them through a digital ad, and that's in your email CRM, and that you can you know, reach through addressable TV or even linear TV. Like, yeah. that, that needs to be brought together in order to get maximum efficiency. Two is that it's expensive, uh, and that's oftentimes because... It, the, the first thing maybe that a marketer is doing is saying like, well, the cost to reach an individual through a piece of direct mail is way more expensive than the cost to reach them through a newsfeed ad. But the real cost is what is your return on ad spend? It's, yep. you know, what is the, the, the expected and then actual achieved conversion rate? What is the quality and lifetime value of that individual that you're converting? And so, you know, the way to, to I think, equalize um, evaluation of any channel is not what's the cost of impression, but it's, you know, how, if I spend, you know, $50,000 in this channel and I spend $50,000 in this channel, what is the comparable return on ad spend? How do they work in an interactive way? Um, and when when you look at the return, direct mail oftentimes is the more efficient channel compared to other addressable, especially digital channels. Three would be, you know, executionally, it's been a really clunky channel. You need procurement people, you need data um, analysts and, and you know, DBAs. You needed all sorts of kind of individuals to, to work with a whole sea of, of vendors. You had to kind of outsource all of your audience development. Uh, you know, technology like Posty, you know, has changed that. So, you know, just like Facebook can be run with a, an individual or a very small team and tremendous gains can be had and they can be managing really big budgets, delivering really big results. You know, our clients are leveraging technology to execute direct mail in the same way. Let's continue to demystify this together because I see there are really three opportunities here when it comes to direct mail as a growth opportunity for financial brands in a digital world. You you have prospecting, you have retargeting, you have CRM re-engagement. I, I wanna I wanna focus on the retargeting and specifically website retargeting because I see one of the greatest challenges for financial brands is essentially what we would diagnose as abandoned shopping cart. Someone gets to the bottom of the funnel, they click the apply button, they start the application, and then because of complexity of the application, they abandon, they leave. Now we know, for example, like with marketing automation re-engagement, we can recapture anywhere between 10 to 15, 25% of those that start the application but abandon. I, I want to get your take on where direct mail can can play a part of this narrative because I see an opportunity here 
because it is very specific. It is very targeted around the abandoned cart, even post-purchase. I mean, it all kind of becomes now integrated back to the point we were making before. What are some specific opportunities from your perspective here? I would think about it just a, a, a tad bit more broadly and thinking think about it in such as in, in, in such terms as how do you how do you become more insightful and knowledgeable about your customers and your prospects and how do you leverage that knowledge in order to be more efficient with um, with your marketing you know budget mm. and and what I mean by that is you know he, he, here's a um, you know a little story you know so I learned kind of the art of sales and, and closing, um, shopping for guitars when I was in junior high. That was one of my first like passion hobbies was, um, was, was music. And I grew up in a suburb of Chicago and every once in a while I would go and I would, I would get a job even as like a 13 and 14 year old and work for like six months to save enough, enough money to go and buy a guitar. And I did this in like annual cycles. And then I would kind of quit the job and I would hop on a train or you know, hop in a car with, with my dad and um, drive down to Guitar Center. Yep. And Guitar Center back in the day was known for haggling. And yep. I vividly remember being a young kid engaging with someone probably a decade older than me about a guitar that I was trying to, to buy. And, um, and, I, and I remember like there was a, another local guitar store down the street in, in this neighborhood in Chicago. And I would I walk out of the store at Guitar Center to walk down the street to see, you know, what price they had or what similar instruments they had. And the the salesperson chased me down the street. I was like, all right, all right, I'll knock 50 bucks off. <laughs> and, uh, and it was like a light bulb went off. Like, okay, like playing hard to get, you know, not, you know, being over connect, overly connected and showing too much desire, having... Um, uh, you know, alternatives, like all these things as a buyer are really good. I bring that up because I gave some signal to the salesperson that that salesperson could then leverage to figure out what it was going to take to close me. And when you, you fast forward to 2023, you know, one of the greatest values of being in the digital age is that we have the ability to engage with consumers and prospects through our websites and apps and and learn how they're you know engaging with us what content right. they're they're engaging with what videos they're watching in entirety versus abandoning what ads or content that are on uh, in our distribution network that they're that are driving them what emails they're opening you know what sms's they're responding to and then we could leverage that data to make better decisions about okay like this message is is being impactful Let's figure out how to, you know, leverage more of it. Or, you know, here's a pain point that we didn't even realize that that a big, you know, segment of our of our customers have. Or here's a part, here's an area where we're failing existing customers and they're abandoning us. And then we can leverage that in order to, you know, do a better job communicating. You know, back I remember shopping with my mom at Nordstrom Shoe Department and. Um, as a kid and they used to have her her number on file and they would call her when a new shoe that she knew um, showed up and they had a personal relationship we get to do that through the internet through our databases right and so then you start thinking about okay how can we use that that information insight call it data tactically and you nailed it right so it's where in our sales funnel are we losing people Mm -hmm. why are we losing people there how do should we just re, remarket them through 
direct mail and digital, or should we be thinking about what is the message that we're, we're missing or the gap that we're not filling to get someone to feel comfortable to go all the way through the conversion event? And then how do we communicate that through all of the channels available, but direct mail being a really powerful weighted one is that can now be used in remarketing a hundred percent, like take it. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, one of the, 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 kind of present moment challenges is the quote unquote battle for deposits. For the last decade, it was all about the loans, the loan products. Now it's deposit focused and practical use case for the dear listener coming back to the point of retargeting and remarketing is looking at people who might be on a checking page. They might be on a savings vehicle, a CD, a money market account, and then utilizing multi-channel marketing to then go back and re-engage. And your Nordstrom example is, is one. Um, that's a that's taking a proactive stance in a relationship. Your Guitar Center example really connected with me because – a little bit of a side anecdote on this. I remember being uh, like 18, 19. I had a punk rock band and I bought a guitar and realized that I probably spent more. It was a guitar. No, I didn't buy the guitar. It was a cab. I bought a cab and, uh, and an amp. And I was I probably spent more than I should have. And I had buyer's remorse. <laughs> and uh, they had a policy that you could take it back and return it. And I did because I was like, I just, there's no way that I could afford it. I bought it on a credit and everything, store credit. So I took it back. But they were like, dude, don't worry about it. We're going to give you a job. You can pay it off. You can buy other stuff. And it was like they were so proactive in the relationship. And I think that's the key takeaway is direct mail can be part of a proactive relationship to where you're providing um, an offer, um, an incentive tied back to an individual's unique situation based upon their digital buying signal. So it doesn't just have to be digital alone. It can be multi-channel or back to the point we were talking about before integrated as a whole. As, as we start to wrap up, I, I always like to get real practical for the dear listeners, something small that they can do next to apply what we've been talking here talking about here in within their own unique situation what what would be one thing that you would recommend the listener do today at their bank at their credit union at their fintech to integrate or maybe even reintegrate direct mail as part of a key communication channel to establish re-engage take a Take a positive, proactive stance in people's financial lives so that it is not this dinosaur, so that it is not this standalone channel off in the corner that we have these misconceptions from the past. So I would say bookend it. Um, mm. and, and what I mean by that is I would say, you know, engage with your marketing team and ask questions about the areas where you're finding the most challenge and where you need the most help, whether that's retaining customers, whether that's cross-selling a specific higher you know, margin product, whether that's cracking um, you know, new acquisition in a, in a specific you know, demographic or segment that's, that, you know, um, that you really want to crack, but you're struggling with. Um, and then also take a look and say, where are the areas that we're being, we're successful which gets back to how we started this conversation, which is a lot of times as people, but also marketers, we focus on the areas that are most difficult 
And we shouldn't give up on those, but we should also not forget that, hey, sometimes the path to biggest growth and profitability is leaning in where you're actually finding success, not yeah. just solving the, the problems. <laughs> Excuse me. And I would look at, um, at both of those and figure out how can we integrate direct mail into the positive to try and get, get maximized um, in, incremental gains in the areas that are already working. Let's not just sit back on our laurels. And then let's take a look and say, hey, where can we use another data-driven, high touch, high engagement, more personalized um, you know, uh, consumer touch point to try and break through a challenge position? And, and I think you can do that in all three um, areas of the funnel that you talked about, which is you know, DM is, is direct mail is, is highly effective in top of funnel acquisition because of all the predictive modeling, the AI, the data, the yep. lookalike modeling that you can do. Um, I would look deep in the funnel and say, how do we upsell, cross-sell? How do we re-engage lapsed customers? Um, and then I would look mid-funnel to how do we unlock things like you know retargeting, remarketing through all the first-party behavioral data we're capturing and insights we're capturing. I would hope by now most of your brands are have a lead funnel and direct mail can be integrated into your lead conversion campaigns. Um, but I would look at in each one of those those buckets, what are we doing well that we want to accelerate? What are, where are we struggling that maybe integrating this channel a little bit more deeply or, or bringing it into the mix and um, when we're not using it at all and, and these, um, you know, these marketing objectives um, you know, could, could, could be worth a go as well. I liked your perspective, identifying things that we're already doing good and making hypothesis of what we could do even better. What could we optimize to grow from good to great um, and experimentation, um, I think, goes a long way here. It's back to, once again, what you were talking about before. Yes, there's the quantitative piece of this, but it's also the larger narrative that we're crafting throughout each one of these. And I think, too, when it comes to financial services, and specifically for the dear listener, start small with this. Don't try to bite the entire funnel off at one time. Back to the point of awareness, consideration, and purchase – but then also focusing on one specific product line because that's where I think the complexity quickly creeps in. It's like, oh my gosh, we have five different product lines that we're trying to focus on, three different areas of the funnel. Um, that's an exponential problem. Let's bring this back and let's just start small, look for those areas of opportunities to grow from good to great. Dave, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you for your knowledge, for your insight that you have shared. If someone is listening to this and they want to connect with you to continue the conversation that we have started, what's the best way for them to reach out and say hello to you, Dave? So we work hard on publishing great content and case studies, um, insights on our website. So po certainly posty.com, P-O-S-T-I-E.com. If it's someone that wants to connect directly with me, LinkedIn, um, LinkedIn Messenger, Messenger is my platform of choice. I'm Dave L. Fink is my handle. Love to hear from you. Connect with Dave, learn with Dave, grow with Dave. Dave, I was just checking out uh, all of the resources that you have on your website under Learn. There, there are a ton, so I do recommend the dear listener hop over to Posty, P-O-S-T-I-E dot com. Take a look at those resources, and it will continue to guide you forward on your own journey of growth. Dave, thanks for joining me for another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. This has been a lot of fun today. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.